Thank you, worship team. At this time, uh, we're going to continue in our worship with our offering. Um, the ushers are going to come forward and, and pass our offering baskets. If you're visiting with us, if this is your, you're relatively new here, please just let the baskets pass by. This is an act of worship for people that call West Shore their church home. This is a way of giving back from that which God has given us. He's a, he's a generous, gracious God, and he gives so much. Um, and we get to give, but just a little bit back to him. Uh, My name is Dan Spino. I'm one of the pastors on staff here at West Shore Free, Um, and it is good to be here with you this morning, getting to share God's word with you. Um, But more than that, every Sunday, I love, I love worshiping with you guys. This is, I love this church family. It's such an awesome family. Um, People ask me all the time, what do you, what do you think about this area? I'm like, well, the area is okay. The church is amazing though. Um, And I really mean that with all sincerity and the church is, is you. (laughs) So thank you. Um, Today, we're going to continue in our Isaiah series. Uh, We're going to be in Isaiah 63. We'll get there in a a few moments. Um, We're going to continue with where we were last week. We kind of got through half of it. Trent took us through the first half. We're going to continue through and and forward a little bit. But before we get there, uh, I want to let you know about an epidemic that's been breaking out in our culture. Um, It's broken out. Some of you have been affected. I know this. I've interacted with you. I've seen it. And I feel like you know what I'm talking about. Um, It is, in fact, that phrase, I feel like. It's an epidemic. It's sweeping through our culture. Um, I'm not exactly sure when the transition happened, how long ago it was. uh, But we've actually, we stopped using the phrase, I think. uh, And we now use the phrase, I feel like. Right? I mean, I'm sure you guys have heard this in various different situations, whether it be on TV or just in personal interactions with people. Um, And I apologize now for calling attention to this. I'm sure that this is going to be annoying now. You're going to hear it, or you might even try to use it and kind of fumble over your words. So I apologize only slightly. I do want to call her attention to it. (laughs) This past Wednesday, it happened again for me. We were at my brother-in-law's house. He's got this beautiful farmhouse. It's just so like tranquil, and it's so restful. We love going there. It's pitch dark. Um, and the, you know, right around sunset, all the fireflies start coming up, lightning bugs or fireflies, depending on where you're from. I hear those, that can be interchanged. They start coming out and we start having this great conversation. Where do fireflies come from? What is the lighting pattern? What, what, what is a firefly, right? We're just talking about fireflies in general. And, and, and then it happened. It happened. Um, somebody asked a question. It was something like, uh, I wonder where fireflies go during the day. And I don't know who asked and who answered, but the answer was something to the effect of, I feel like they go in the ground during the day. To which I replied, what does that feel like? <laughs> that's, my, that's my favorite reply when I hear that phrase. But, but God, who is rich in humbling Dan Spino, um, as I was preparing my sermon, there was a bullet on my page, and then I scrolled and came back, and the bullet was on a different page, and I exclaimed as I'm writing this, I exclaimed, I feel like something just happened. (laughs) And I had a laugh. I'm like, ah, thank you, God. Appreciate that. Um, So why call attention to this? Why call attention to this maybe somewhat benign, somewhat silly phrase? It is silly. Um, Why call attention to it? I call attention to it because it's actually having an impact on our culture. Um, Whether we realize it or not, it might be somewhat benign. Um, It might be a little little kind of subconscious level, if you will. Um, But what ends up happening is we're no longer thinking with rational thoughts, but we're thinking with emotions. And by that, I don't mean to imply that emotions are irrational. That's not what I'm saying. Please don't email me. That's not what I'm saying. Um, What I'm saying, though, is that thinking with our feelings versus thinking with our thoughts. 
Uh, and over time, as we do that, what, what ends up happening? We're gonna, we will and we have and we continue to do compromise truth because truth then becomes all about how I feel. <laughs> so truth becomes relative to me um, and it becomes this kind of creates this situation in which uh, this fertile soil can like just give root to all kinds of sin. And when sin starts percolating up, it's like a weed and it just takes over a garden. Um, that's what we see in our culture a little bit today. Um, and that's what we see what's going on in Isaiah's culture, the people that he's writing to. That's exactly the issue. The issue is they've compromised what was true and they pursued their own desires, their own feelings, and they sacrificed something great. And that was they sacrificed their relationship with God. This is the cultural setting for Isaiah. But we, along with the people of Israel, as Isaiah is lamenting here, as Isaiah is lamenting, we're called to something more. We are called to persevere in our faith so that we can find rest in God. This passage is all about this, this really amazing contrast between persevering in faith and per- persisting in sin. We're gonna see this contrast in here play out. Um, another way to say it is persevering in your relationship with God. That's what faith is, pursuing your relationship with God versus persisting in sin. You can't have it both ways. They're, just, they're opposed to each other. You can't love Jesus and love sin. So we are called, Isaiah is gonna show us, we are called to wait on God, to trust in him, to remain in him so that we can find rest. God invites us into that rest. Um, and that's what he wants for his people and that's what he wants for us. Um, as we get into Isaiah, let me, um, let me pray for our time here this morning. Lord, I, am, um, I marvel at you in the way that you work. Uh, thinking through the songs, thinking the words that George just felt prompted to say, uh, just fit, just continually in this intertwine into this message with zero planning together in terms of what are we trying to accomplish together. I just see that as you, Holy Spirit. I see that as you working. And I ask that you would continue to work in our lives and in our hearts. Some of us have some, some hurdles in front of us right now. Our minds are already starting to push against <laughs> what, what I've already spoken. Lord, may you just help us to lower our guard and let us hear you with our ears so that we can perceive you and perceive your truth. We wanna be as a people that are so hungry for you that we just keep pursuing you. So help us to do that, Lord, and use this time as a, as a stepping stone in that journey for your glory. I ask all this in your name. Amen. As I mentioned, we're going to be in 63. Uh, We're going to start at 15. We're going to go through the end of 64. Um, I'll read it for us in a minute. I just want to set up this text a little bit. In this text, we have Isaiah. We've constantly keep having like kind of different voices uh, kind of being uh, coming through the text. It's all Isaiah writing, of course, the hand of God through Isaiah writing this text. Uh, But here we actually have Isaiah speaking now. And Isaiah is lamenting on behalf of his people. This is a cry of lament for his people. He's looking around the landscape. He sees the destruction. He sees the sinfulness. Um, It's an amazing prophecy because Isaiah is writing to people in the future. These people have been exiled to Babylon. They're on their way back. And Isaiah is just lamenting at what he sees Um, Before we get to these verses, what we're going to look at today, I want to call attention to two other verses that were um, from the first part of 63 that really set us up for today. And that's verse 10. It says, but they they, uh, rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. Therefore, he turned to be their enemy and himself fought against them. So they grieved his Holy Spirit. They pushed against God and God turned and became their enemy. Uh, and then in verse 14, on the heels of our text today, we see like livestock that go down into the valley, the spirit of the Lord gave them rest. So you led your people to make for yourself your glorious name. 
And there it sets up the contrast of what we're gonna look at today. God wants to call his people into rest, into a relationship with them. But the people just keep grieving the Holy Spirit. They keep pushing and, and, and pursuing their sin. They keep persisting in their sin. Isaiah sees them coming back after all that they've been through. He sees them coming back and he says, why, oh people, are you still persisting in your sin? There's something more for us. So let's take a look at our text here today. I'll read it for you. We'll have it up on the screen. Um, Isaiah's almost right in the middle of your Bible if you have one with you. It's in the Old Testament. Um, we're gonna start 63, verse 15. It says, look down from heaven and see from your holy and beautiful habitation. Where are your zeal and your might? The stirring of your inner parts, uh, that word there means belly. It's a, it's a place of emotion. Some translations use the word tenderness. So the stirring of your tenderness and your compassion, where are they? They're held back from me. For you are our father. Though Abraham does not know us and Israel does not acknowledge us, you, O Lord, are our father. Our redeemer from old is your name. O Lord, why do you make us wander from your ways and harden our hearts so that we fear you not? Return for the sake of your servants, the tribes of your heritage. Your holy people held possession for a little while. Our adversaries had trampled down your sanctuary. We have become like those over whom you have never ruled, like those who are called, not called by your name. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence as when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries and that the nations might tremble at your presence." When you did awesome things that we did not look for, you came down, the mountains quaked at your presence. From of old, no one has heard or perceived by ear. No eye has seen a God beside you who acts for those who wait for him. You meet him joyfully. You meet him who joyfully works righteousness, those who remember you in his ways. Behold, you were angry and we sinned and our sins we have been a long time. And shall we be saved? We've all become like one who is unclean and all our righteous deeds are like polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf and our iniquities like the wind take us away. There is no one who calls upon your name, who rouses himself to take hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us and have made us melt in the hand of our iniquities. But now, O oh Lord, you are our father. We are the clay, you are the potter. We are the work of your hand. Be not so terribly angry, O Lord, and remember not your iniquity forever. Behold, please, look, we are your people. Your holy cities become a wilderness. Zion has become a wilderness. Jerusalem, a desolation. Our holy and beautiful house where our fathers praised you has been ruined by fire and all our pleasant places have become ruins. Will you restrain yourself at these things, O Lord? Will you keep silent and afflict us so terribly? This is the passage we have this morning. This is this persistence in and, relation, and pursuing a relationship, this kind of interweaving that we see in this text. Um, there's three things I wanna highlight in this, in this passage. Uh, we can take them in any order. I tried to put them in an order that maybe made a little sense to me. The first thing we're gonna look at is persistence in is pervasive and destructive. Uh, we see that in verse 10, verse 17, 19, and then 64, 5, 6, and 7. Um, persistent sin is pervasive in destruction. And to this, there's at least six different things that we can say that we see in this text um, that persistent sin does. Um, persistent sin hardens your heart. That's verse 17. Um, I want to take that one first because I recognize that that's a really hard verse to read in Scripture. That's a really hard one to hear God say, why have you hardened our hearts? That's hard. 
But what I want to encourage you is that when you come across verses like this in, in Scripture, to not just stop there and panic, uh, but to remember the whole narrative of the Bible, to really think things through. What has God said all throughout the Bible, and where does this verse fit in light of that? And not only that, but in its immediate context, what can we say about this verse? What can we say about a verse like this? Um, we can look in our immediate context, and we can see a number of things. Uh, the book of Isaiah first is a story of God's persistent love and grace for his people. I hope you've heard that as we've been in this journey. God just keeps coming back over and over and over again. We heard about steadfast love last week. Again, God just loves his people and he is so steadfast. Uh, in chapter six, we see the call of Isaiah. And what does God say? Isaiah, I'm calling you to a bunch of people. I wanna give you a word. They're my people. I wanna give you my word for them, but they're not gonna listen, just so you know. <laughs> It's terrible. That's a tough call and Isaiah pursues it because he loves his people and he loves God and he wants to follow God. But that's their people. They do not want to hear God's word. The Assyrians came in and, and wiped out the northern kingdom. Uh, they kicked them out. They destroyed the northern kingdom. The Babylonians came in and, and wiped out the southern kingdom about 150 years later. They were pushed out into exile and you think that they would have learned, but they don't. Isaiah's writing out with them coming back and he's saying, why are you still persisting in your sin? And yet God's people have just not chosen to walk with him. In verse 10, we already saw that they rebelled, that they grieved the Holy Spirit. See, what happens over time is that their desires just became so disoriented. They became so misaligned. They kept pursuing that which they, they should not pursue. They no longer wanted God. They wanted what they wanted. A hardened heart as a result of a series of bad choices, a series of bad desires that escalates into a broken relationship with God. And this is hard to hear, but you need to know sin has consequences. Sin has consequences. There's no way you can get around it. We become a slave to sin instead of a servant of God, as Isaiah calls us to. Uh, persistent sin will lead to that hardness of heart. Paul picks up this idea in Romans 1. Uh, in Romans 1, he says, claiming to be wise, they became fools. And what do they do? They exchanged the glory of this beautiful, amazing God <laughs> for their own personal glory, desires, things that they sh should not pursue. They, ex they made a big exchange there, and it was a foolish exchange. And uh, Paul continues in that text, and he says, so God gave them up in lust, to the lust of their hearts. So God gave them over. God is patient. God is loving, God is kind, he pursues us, but when we just keep not pursuing him, our hearts go hard and God gives us up to them. We see that God gave them over to their desired sin and he does that for us. You can't both love Jesus and love sin. They're two complete opposites. You can't do it. That's a hardness of heart. I both feel like and I know that this is impossible to do. You can't do both. This is what's going on in verse 17. Our desires give way to our actions. Actions lead us away from God. And unless we repent, friends, unless we repent and turn, turn back, Isaiah's calling God to turn to him. It's amazing because God calls us to turn back to him, to repent to him. We're gonna go down the same path. We'll repeat the same sin and we'll run towards a heart of stone rather than a heart of flesh. We need to invite God in. We need to invite God in and help us with this issue. Help us to realign our desires. So yes, persisting in sin will lead to a hardened heart. Number two, we can say persistent sin leads to destruction. We see that in verses 10 through 11. 
because of their persistence in, God kicked them out, right? He kicked them out of their promised land, kicked them out of their kingdom. The Babylonians came in and just wiped the place out. They just burned everything down. We can read about in 10, 11. Cities burned, Zion's burned, the temple's been destroyed. But while they were the agents of destruction, the cause of that destruction was what? <laughs> their sin. It was their persistence in. That's what caused the destruction. That's what caused the destruction of the temple. And God, who is so kind, uses physical phenomenon to teach us spiritual truth. We who are followers of Jesus, we are the temple of God. And when we persist in sin, we destroy our temple as well. Now, sure, it might not look like what we're talking about in verse 10 and 11 with this utter destruction and fire. Like, I'm not trying to say that's going to necessarily happen to you, but we will encounter consequences for our sin. We will see a type of destruction. We'll encounter spiritual loss. We'll encounter relational loss. We'll encounter emotional loss. And perhaps in some ways, even physical pain to our bodies as a result of our sin, as a result, as a result of us just staining this temple of God. It will be destroyed from sin. Sin has consequences and persisting in sin will destroy the spiritual temple of the Holy Spirit. You need to hear that. Third thing we can say is persistent sin causes us to lose our identity with God. We see this in verse 19 and then again in 64, 7. Um, in 19, it says that they become like one who are not called by God's name. And then in verse seven, it says, it says that none of the people of Israel were calling God upon his name. So there's this whole loss of name. And, and a name, uh, all throughout scripture, names are important. Names are identity markers. What they're saying is no one's, we're not exchanging names anymore. God isn't calling us by name. We're not calling him by name. We've just lost our relationship. We lost our identity. Persisting in sin destroys your relationship with God. You give up your identity. You can't walk in person sin and walk with the redeemer from old, Isaiah calls him. You can't do it. Number four, the fourth thing we can say is when we are persisting in sin, even our good deeds become stained by sin. We see this in 64.6. It says our righteous deeds are like, are like soiled garments or like dirty rags. Um, Nate preached on the on verse on chapter 61 a few weeks ago, and he's, there's a verse in there, 61.8, where it says, God hates when people persist in sin and offer burnt offerings. That's kind of the same idea of what's happening here. God hates when you're persisting in sin, and then you, instead of addressing that sin, instead of dealing with that sin, you try to do something that you think is good. You try to maybe probably do it out of attempt to try to earn God's favor as you're persisting in sin. God hates that. God hates that. He sets up this whole sacrificial system. It's really complicated. And what does he say? I don't even want the sacrificial system. I just want your hearts. That's all he wants. So when you try to do good, your good deeds become soiled. And it's not just with God, it's with others as well. Other people who know that you are a follower of Christ and just walking corruptly in some sort of moral failing and persistent sin, your good deeds to them become soiled as well. Somebody gave Stephanie and I a gift and this person um, claims to be a follower of Jesus and they are just walking in a bad moral path, terrible moral path. So they give us this gift and my first exclamation was like, I don't think I want this. And that wasn't in light of reading this text. That was just a natural reaction I had inside of me. I'm like, this feels soiled. It was a really nice gift, thank you. But it just, ugh, like it feels dirty because that's what sin does. Sin makes good things Bad. Persisting in sin just makes good things bad. Number five, persistent sin makes us lifeless and directionless. I love the imagery that Isaiah used in verse six. We see that we are like a faded leaf, it says, and our sin is like the wind that just takes the leaf away. 
We live in a beautiful part of the country where we get to experience all four seasons of the, of the, of the year, throughout the year, winter, spring, summer, fall. And in the fall, we have leaves falling. So we've all gotten to see this. What happens? A leaf falls, the wind blows. And what does that leaf look like? Right? Is it just a straight path? No, it's like this weird, like meandering, like it seems aimless. It seems lifeless. There's no weight to it. It's completely at the beck and call of the wind. Whatever the wind says, the leaf has to do. Even when the leaf hits the ground, the wind can scoop it back up and push it back up again and keep it going. That's exactly what Isaiah is saying here. That's what we're like when we persist in sin. Our sins just blow us along. Instead of delighting in the Lord, we start just pursuing our own desires. And my guess is that we don't necessarily go from here to persistent sin, right? Kind of like that wind. It's like this small little movement that happens. There's incremental steps that happens on the journey. Perhaps it's, it's with a relationship, right? You might feel a nudge towards somebody that you shouldn't feel a nudge towards. And instead of doing something about it, you just ignore it. Weeks go by, Months go by, and what happens? Desires become firmly planted. The sinful wind blows our desires, and after a while, that little something you felt towards somebody gives way to full-blown sin, whatever it might be. Relationships are altered, lives are changed. Not transformed, changed. Right? Or maybe it's with truth. You enter back into the garden with Adam and Eve, and you say, did God really say... <laughs> It feels like a God of love shouldn't do this, right? We misappropriate what truth is. We misunderstand what God's love actually means, the full orb, God's love. And we just think a loving God, how could a loving God say this? That doesn't make sense. And weeks go by, months go by. You sit in this thought pattern. And after a while, what happens? You're pursuing what you feel like is truth instead of God's truth, just like the leaf, just blowing along with the wind. Never underestimate the power of sin. Never underestimate the power of misaligned desires. And ultimately, number six, ultimately what we see is that sin is pervasive. It's pervasive. Isaiah just, he doesn't hold back. In verse six, he says, we have all become like one who is unclean. And in verse seven, there is none who call upon your name. This is echoes of Romans 3, 23. Paul kind of picks up the same idea. He says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us. It's pervasive. We are prone to sin and we are all in need of a savior. If there's anything that you take away, anything at all that you take away from this time here, just hear this. Sin is destructive. We play with sin. It's really sad. We play with sin. We treat it lightly. Don't do that. <laughs> sin is destructive. It's like a weed. Start small and turn your back and it just choke everything out. So what is sin? If you've been with us, we've, we've defined sin several times here. I know that we have. Um, I'm going to turn to Tim Keller here for some of a newer nuance of, his, of a definition of sin. He says that sin is worshiping anything but Jesus. Now, some of you probably have heard that before. Uh, but what I love is he adds, and the wages of sin is slavery. I love that phrase. The wages of sin is slavery. We become a slave to sin. We become a slave to our desires, to our hurts, to our anxieties, to our fears, to what we think we should have. We become a slave to those things and we have to have them. That's what sin is. Persistent sin is powerful. So how then do we break the stronghold of sin? That's what we should be asking. Well, well then what? <laughs> 
So exactly what Isaiah takes us through. The goal is to not not to sin. I can tell you that much. If you set out to not sin, you're gonna fail. Imagine like an elephant sat on you. You can't just lift that elephant off, right? Like you're gonna need some major help to get that elephant off of you. You can't just get rid of sin. Sin is too powerful. There's spiritual battles that are going on all around us at all time, raging war for your soul. You cannot conquer sin on your own. It's impossible. Rather, the goal has to be so in love with God to become so in love with him that sin becomes dissatisfying and undesirable. That's the only anecdote for sin. Of course, there's repentance. We call, we're called to repentance, but a repentant heart is one that is so in love with God that understands that he or she needs to repent. The Israelites isn't that they just keep sinning, it's that they rebelled, that they forgot who they were, they forgot their special relationship with God, they grieved the Holy Spirit, they sought after self-interest and self-gain and selfish ambition and conceit. It's exactly the same thing that we do. We forget who we are, we forget whose we are, and ultimately, like the Israelites, we spurn our relationship with God when we pursue persistent sin. Sin says, it's all about me. A relationship with God says, it's all about him. And Isaiah takes us there. The next thing we're gonna look at in this text we see is that we're gonna look at the relationship of God that we have with God. We have an intimate relationship with God. We see this in verses 15 through 18, and then again um, in eight through nine. God keeps trying to draw his children back into a loving relationship. I think I've highlighted that. God just, that's what God desires. That's what he wants. He's patient. He's got steadfast love. Uh, and Isaiah points some of that out here in our text. He uses this word name several times throughout 63 and throughout 64. He uses this phrase name, just N-A-M-E, name. Names in the Old Testament are important. They're identity markers. They say a lot about who you are. Um, and they have an intimate relationship with God. They know God by name. They know him as Yahweh. They know him as, as their redeemer, but they forgot the name of God. Nobody's called on the name of God and God's, and they, forgot the, they forgot God's name and God's kind of forgotten them, essentially. Um, but the fact that Isaiah keeps using this name, he's trying to draw the listeners back to you. Don't forget, you have an intimacy with God. The second thing we can see is this use of the word Father. He uses it three times. In verse 16, we, we see that Abraham has forgotten who we are. Israel doesn't even know us anymore, but you, God, you are our father, Isaiah says. He uses it twice there in that verse. What Isaiah is trying to say is that your national identity as Israelites, your tongue, your, the, the, your Hebrew, doesn't, none of that matters because when you call God as father, you are part of a spiritual family and all are welcome into this spiritual family to call God as father. Isaiah is calling these people back to this intimate relationship that they have with Father. The other, thing, the other phrase he uses is this idea of redeemer of old, he says. Now that word redeemer has an intimacy applied with it. Um, you see this in the book of Ruth with the kinsman redeemer. There's this idea that there's some sort of special relationship. A redeemer redeems somebody who's close to him or her, right? So in this case, it's God. God is our redeemer. There's a personal relationship that we have uh, with the one being redeemed. And we see that Isaiah describes us as well. We see that we are God's servants in verse 17, the tribe of his heritage in verse 17, his holy people, he says, in verse 18. In chapter 64, verse 80, he says, we're the work of your hands. Uh, he uses this phrase, his people. We are his people. Um, Isaiah, again, evokes his imagery of clay and a potter. Um, he's using it twice so far throughout Isaiah. He's using it again here. 
And he's just trying to call us back to you. God is the creator, God is supreme, God is control, and we are the clay. He gets to do what he wants, but we are God's servants. We're in his heritage. We have this special relationship with him. We see this beautiful picture of who God is and who we are in light of each other. And note I said the word we, the, the pronoun we. I didn't say they, right? I didn't say they are his people, they are. I said we, because this text is all about, is about our relationship with God. We are these things as well. We can claim these truths for ourselves. This is for us. We have this contrast all throughout here, this contrast of the sinful acts and results thereof by the people of God, and at the same time, this unique and special relationship that God has with his people. And this is the matter, the heart of the matter. This is why I'm thankful that I got to spend time with this. This is what God is working on in my life. God wants to invite his people into rest. That's what we, we saw that in verse 14. God wants to invite his people into rest. What is rest? Rest is not just sitting down and putting your feet up. That's a form of rest, sure. God's rest is a faithful, persevering relationship in him. That's rest. We see this idea teased out in Hebrews 3 and 4, if you want to push into it a little bit. And here in verse 4, it says, From of old, no one has heard or perceived by ear. No eye has seen a God besides you who acts for those who what? Who wait for him, who rest in him who find their security, their identity in him. This idea of waiting has a sense of dying to yourself and your own will, your own ambition, and knowing that God is in control and God's gonna do things on his time and we're gonna trust that he will. We won't give over to our desires. We won't get over to our impatience. We're not gonna give over to anything that causes us to act before God calls us to act. That's what waiting implies. And it's a daily surrender. And when you are able to wait, you're able to enter into that rest in God. Resting in him means pursuing a relationship with him. And this could be a funny concept for some people. I, I just had a struggle with this phrase, sometimes relationship with God. What does that mean to have a relationship with God? Um, I think at, at the heart of it, what it is is that you can have a relationship with somebody because they're in the room. You can touch that person that's next to you, right? But with God, God is here, God's in this room. Didn't mean to imply that by any means, but God is wholly other, Right? So pursuing a relationship can be kind of tricky. And I think what happens is we make it too complicated. We overcomplicate things. So let me ask you this. Do you have a unique or special relationship in your life? It could be with a person. It could be with a pet. Um, people, yeah, that would work as well. What do you do to foster that relationship? What are things that you do to foster that relationship, whatever it is, with whoever or whatever it is? Um, Here's a couple things that I came up with, and I'm sure that you can add. You sacrifice yourself for this relationship. You pursue the good of the other in this relationship. You seek out conversation in this relationship. You invest time. You spend money. You listen in. You stay together, even in hard times. You stay together. You trust the other in this relationship. These are all good things. And I'm sure that you can add 20, 30, even more things to this list of what a good relationship looks like. These are good things. Keep doing them. This is a model that God gives us though for our relationship with him. This is all we have to do with God. It's the same thing. We can sacrifice for God. We can pursue the good of God. We can seek out conversation with him. We can invest time. We can spend money in God's kingdom. We can listen to him. We can stay together with God even in hard times. You can trust God. The problem is, is that we don't desire that relationship with God, so we make it complicated. 
our hearts go astray and we'd rather have some sort of immediate impact than staying in and sitting still before God. And that's what's going on in this book, of, in, in this chapter here in Isaiah. We see God is so gracious that he both longs for a relationship with his people. <laughs> and Isaiah says he's, he's actually willing to help pursue that relationship with his people. The lament is Isaiah calling out to his father, asking for help. Isaiah essentially says, we're not strong enough. God, we are, we are in this sin pattern forever. Will you restrain yourself at these things, O oh Lord? Will you keep silent and afflict us so terribly? I know that you won't. I know that you act, have acted before. Will you please act again? Father, help. That's what Isaiah, that's what a lament is. Isaiah is lamenting. He's just saying, Father, help. I can't do it on my own. We can't do it on our own. We're too lost. Our desires are too misaligned. We'd rather have joys of this world. We'd rather be on our iPhones or iPads than to spend time with you. We'd rather just be doing frivolous things, God. We'd rather be persisting in our sin. We can't stop ourselves, Lord. We need your help. Maybe we need to join in with Isaiah at this moment and just say, Father, Father, please help Don't try to outmuscle or outmaneuver sin. You have, to, you have to give it to God. And if you are persisting in a sin, if there's something in your life that's tugging at you, that there's a sin pattern, name it and give it to God. You can be specific. Lord, I need help with whatever it is. And God, he tells us, he's faithful, he'll be gracious, and he will act. That's all God wants from us is a personal relationship with him. He will change our heart. He will realign our desires. And that's what's absolutely amazing. He's willing to do that work for us. <laughs> it's amazing. It's amazing the lengths of which God will go on our behalf for us so that we can have a relationship with him. That connects directly with our last point here. And that is God has acted and God will continue to act. So Isaiah, and you can see this in 64, one through five, verses nine and 12 as well. Uh, in one through five, Isaiah is just calling upon God. He's like, Lord, will you please come rend the mountain, rend the heavens, shake the mountains, uh, just come, Lord. It'll be amazing is when fire kindles, causes the water to boil, make your name known to your adversaries, he's saying. What he's doing is he's evoking this idea of a theophany. Um, I know it's a, it's, it's a fancy word. I want to just introduce it here. Um, a theophany is essentially anytime God shows up in scripture, the earth can't handle it. <laughs> That's like the shortened handle of it. When God shows up, you can see it in the book of Joel. Um, you can see it in other places, even in the book um, of Exodus when God is showing up as well um, and other places throughout. What happens? The earth shakes. Sometimes the sky will go dark <laughs> and everybody's just in awe. Everybody. There's nobody that's not in awe. They're just like, whoa, what's going on? And nobody is left untransformed. Nobody's left unchanged one way or the other. Isaiah is saying, you've done that before. Will you please do it again? I've known, he says, God, you have come and you, have, and you shook the mountain. What I love there is that he says that, God, you've come and you shook the mountain. He's also calls, he also calls God our redeemer of old. So we can kind of do some wordsmithing here and we can say our redeemer of old has come and he has shook the mountain. And I hope for some of you that sounds a little bit familiar because all of this points towards, points towards Jesus. 
Isaiah has been working on this. He's been introducing us to the suffering servant and to the conquering Messiah throughout, the, throughout Isaiah. And here we are again. He says, our redeemer has come and he shook the mountain. And what we do know is that Jesus came. Our redeemer, Jesus, came. And when he was on that cross and he gave up his life, what happened? The earth shook. The earth can't contain God. It's impossible. Isaiah is pointing us to a redeemer that we need. A redeemer that we need to help us with our sin, with our sinful path. Paul says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I highlighted that verse before, but he continues and he says, for all are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Do you not see, do you not hear? That's what Isaiah is saying. Oh, that you would come, that we would see you, that we would hear you, that we could perceive you. Don't look at your walk with God as success or failure. Don't do that. If you do that, you're gonna end up on a losing end every single time. You will. <laughs> you're gonna beat yourself up. Rather, cry out to your father. You are a spiritual member of the household of God. Join with me and cry out to God and simply say, help. Help me with my sin, Lord. Come back into my life. Rule in my life. Whatever your approach, whatever it is that you need to do, just don't forsake, don't persevere, in, in, um, sorry, don't persist in your sin and forsake your relationship with God. Rather, know that we are called to persevere in our faith so that we can find rest, so we can find rest in him. So Isaiah keeps pointing us back to resting in him. He says, from of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear no eye has seen a God beside you who acts for those who wait for him. This is our God. No eye has, no eye has seen, no ears perceive a God besides him. And he acts for those who wait for him. So will you wait for him and enter into that rest, persevere in your relationship with him and enter into that rest that he has for you? At this time, we're gonna, our worship team's gonna come up. We're gonna sing one more song. But as we do that, we're gonna have some people down front. Our prayer team will be here to be able to pray for you. Um, we wanna invite you to respond to the Holy Spirit. For some of you, maybe there's some sort of sickness that you want some prayer for, come forward. Let us pray for you. Maybe there's some sin patterns in your life that you just want someone to just pray with you over. And know that all these prayers are confidential. I'm not trying to set up a confessional by any means, but it's good to have somebody praying on your behalf at times. If you feel comfortable, come forward. Maybe this is a time for you to just sit still and let people sing over you. George has already invited us into that before. Maybe this is another song for you to do that. Or maybe God's calling you to get down on your knees and worship him. Don't be embarrassed. Don't, don't squelch the Holy Spirit. Respond. However he's responding, come. Come. Jesus says, come. Don't delay. Don't tarry. Come. Come to him. Our team will be here if you want prayer. Let me pray for us. Lord, I thank you for the work, the stirring in our hearts. This is big. This is, a, this is big concepts to be thinking through, Lord. Um, but we praise you for them, for the work that you're doing. We thank you for being such a gracious God, Lord. And we lament, we cry out, help. I cry out for behalf of my people, Lord. Help them, help them in their sin, Lord. Help them to understand and to desire you so wholly and completely that they just don't want sin anymore, that you're just, that's disgusting. That that would be their response. That sin would lose its savory, that saltiness, its flavor. 
but instead, Lord, that they would pursue you wholeheartedly and run towards you. Lord, if it's their right arm causing them to sin, cut it off. Whatever you need to do, Lord, do that mighty act and free your people, redeem your people, redeemer of old. We just say, come, Holy Spirit, come and wash us now. We ask this in your name, amen.